Welcome to episode 344 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. We're at the end. This is the 10th word. I know. We've had this really, what I thought was going to be maybe in some ways a pedestrian series of conversations about these 10 commandments. I've really turned into great joy for me. We've seen, I think God manifest himself, of course, in who he is through these 10 words. He's brought insights and healing into my life by way of understanding again, what it means to fall mm-hmm. under Christ and to have him at headship of these 10 words over our lives, but then also to restore us through them, knowing that we don't need to perform them anymore, but we've literally been set free to enjoy them and to come alongside in discipline to them, not so much again to earn God's favor, but to have and to experience that abundant life, to draw closer to him and to love on the people of God all the more and by exhibiting them. So this one kind of sneaked up on me. I don't know if you feel that way. I'm a, I'm a little bit retrospective as we jump yeah. close. Yeah, I, I think when we first went into it, I was anticipating it being more, I don't know, a surface level almost. Like like it would be more right. more of a just a conversation about what this stuff is. And it didn't seem like it was going to be as penetrating in like into the inner man as it has been for me and, and for you. Um, so I think I think that's just a reflection of what God's law does, right? We, it, that's just what it is. It, it penetrates into you. It reads you. It judges you. And it condemns you and it pushes you to Christ. So, and it certainly has done that for me as we've, we've worked our way through it. So I'm actually going to call a minor audible on you. Cause even though we, we just had, I think our longest pre episode conference ever trying to figure out what we were going to do next. There's actually a few more things in God's law after we go through the 10 commandments that uh, I think the catechism helps us to understand that I think we probably should cover. So we'll have a couple more episodes uh, on God's law, uh, not on the 10 words because there's only 10 of them and this is the 10th one, but uh, some reflection and some other kind of elaboration that that our tradition gives us that I think is worth talking about. So we'll have at least one more episode of being read by God's law and kind of being laid bare by it, I think, which is is... A little uncomfortable at times, but I think it's a really good thing. Yes. It's definitely like surgery, as I've I've said throughout this whole series. So before we get into all kinds of covetousness, let's do a little affirming and denying. Do you want to start with the affirming or do you want to go to the denial? Let's start with affirmations. Okay. All right. Go ahead. So um, this is uh, sort of one of those weird mixed affirmation slash denials. I um I recently had the worst sinus infection that I've ever had in my life. Um, I I don't know if the listeners have had sinus infections. Um, oh, the listeners have. I'm sure they have. I've had sinus infections before, and it was nothing like this. And I don't know why it was like this. Um, I was doing just fine. So my my son August had a cold, and when the kid gets a cold, everybody in the house gets a cold. It's just the way it is. He's putting his hands in your mouth, and he just germs everywhere sneezing directly into my eyes, things like that. Um, and so I went to work on Monday and I was kind of rounding out this cold. I was starting to feel pretty good. And then at like three o'clock in the afternoon, I just got this like debilitating pain in my left cheek, right under my eye. And I immediately knew it was a sinus infection. Of course, couldn't, couldn't get in to see the doctor because it was at the end of the day, even though I work at the hospital, like doctors everywhere, I still couldn't get in to see the doctor. Um, I was so bad. And this is, this is, 
I hope I'm not exaggerating this. I don't think I am. This was probably the worst pain that I've ever felt. Um, and I've like broken ankles playing soccer. And this was worse than that. And um, I woke up in the middle of the night. I couldn't go back to sleep. I was awake for like five hours, just sitting at my desk with my hands in my head, like head in my hands, trying not to lose it. So that's where the denial comes in, where the affirmation comes in is I got a doctor's appointment the next day. And the doctor said like, yeah, we'll give you some We'll give you some uh, sinus or some some antibiotics because it it very likely is a bi- you know bacterial infection, but why don't you try this neti pot thing? And I, I asked you this, so I'm not going to ask you now, but I know you've used I don't know if you've used the neti pot itself, but you used a, used a sinus irrigator. Man, I will tell you, it's the weirdest feeling, but it was amazing. It was like the best thing ever, and the the craziest thing. So it's a little bit uncomfortable at first. What a neti pot is is it's there's nothing special about it in terms of like right. what it is. It's just like a, like a, you could use a watering can if you really wanted to. It's just a little pot. I probably wouldn't. That seems like that would be too much water, but it, all it is, is it's a, it's a little pot with a spout, like a little teapot. It's short and stout. You tip it over and you pour it out, but you pour it out into your right nostril and you tip your head and all the water runs into your sinuses and then out your other nostril. Right. And the craziest thing uh, I was blowing my nose pretty hard trying to get this stuff out of there and nothing was coming out. So I just assumed it must be inflammation. After I did this neti pot, I blew my nose and it was like a giant gob of green goo. Uh, but I immediately felt better. I mean, it still hurt. My, my sinus cavity was definitely inflamed and irritated. So the pain didn't go away immediately, but it was like night and day difference. So I, I know that we're a top 50 healthcare podcast. It's actually correct. We're trying to keep our coveted top 50 healthcare podcast slot here. Um, check with your doctor if you have any sort of sinus damage or issues. Obviously, you no, should check. Right. these are over the counter things. So it's not like you need a prescription. But if for some reason, it might not be a good idea for you to fill your nostril with waters or with water, um, then check with your doctor. But man, if you're like an allergy sufferer, so this is how much I liked it, right? I actually, so the same company that makes, makes the neti pot makes a, an electronic one that uses positive pressure. So it's a little bit more pressure. Uh, you don't have to tip your head over to the side as much. You just tip forward so it doesn't go in, back into your mouth. I actually bought one of those. So uh, during allergy season, my my doctor was like, just do it every day. Like you don't even have an understanding of how much like pollen and gunk gets like stuck in your nose that just doesn't come out and it creates this like feedback loop. Um, he's like, just do it every day. I, I promise you it'll be amazing. And I was like, okay, let's do it. So it's a little bit weird at first. If you don't do it right, then all the saline solution drains into your mouth and you gag and it's kind of weird. So it takes a little bit of practice to kind of get the posture right, but it's a game changer, man. It was really, really awesome. It's gross. It's weird, but it was awesome. This is some hot proselytization for sinus yeah. irrigation, but I'm laughing because if you know, then you know. Mm-hmm. So I think you get to this point. This is what happens is you have an experience like you just had. Yeah. And sometimes along the way, doctors, physicians, or just people around you will say, Hey, you know what? You might consider doing this any pot thing. And if you haven't had the experience of like that really bad experience, you're like, that's a super weird thing. Yeah. I'm never going to put water. I'm never going to baptize my sinuses. And then it happens and you're like, I should probably try this because that was absolutely horrific. And it's a simple technology. So I'm going to reiterate what you said because otherwise people will just put us on blast via email. Like, of course, check with your physician. And in general, you need to do this carefully, including like using distilled water in a proper kind of rinse, a mix, a saline solution that you can purchase that's appropriate. 
when you do all those things though, and I would, I'm with you, I'm going to jump on your affirmation or at least like double down on this and say like, go just to Amazon, search for something. Don't get the actual neti pot. There's so many other things that make it more convenient yeah. and easier, like ergonomically and otherwise. So you're not trying to literally, because a neti pot is, is just a tiny teapot. To yeah. Your point. You and really, you really could just use it, like just anything use that has a spout. Yeah. Um, I think there's a, something about the structure of it that you don't have to tip it as much. It's like a watering can where the spout connects at the bottom of the container. Right. So there is some physics behind it to, of how it gets the water into your nose. Um, but yeah, I'll, you make sure you use the saline packets or use the, the premix packets. Um, one of the times that I did it, I put the stuff in, but I didn't mix it well. And just regular distilled or bottled water in your nose, that'll burn pretty bad. So it's there's some technique to it. Um, and you have to read the directions carefully, make sure you sterilize the way you're supposed to. Um, it, and no matter which kind you get, it's there's they can be a little bit risky if you're not following the directions. If you're not using clean water, like you can get more bacteria in your nose. It's not good. Exactly. But seriously, if you've ever had sinus problems or severe allergies, or I think like a lot of people, if you just anytime you had a cold, you just made a habit of doing an eddy pot or a sinus, a sinus rinse once or twice a day. Like most people would probably clear their colds a lot faster because most people, when you get like the garden variety, common cold or a regular upper respiratory infection, most of the congestion you're experiencing is not actually happening during the virus. It's all like the right. inflammation and the swelling after the fact and the leftover mucus and stuff. Just clean that out. And, and if you get the right temperature, man, mm, if you get the right temperature of the water, it's quite, quite pleasant. Yeah, it feels nice. Afterwards, you'll be like, that's a really, I feel different. Yeah. It does change you. So if somebody's on the edge, I would encourage you to definitely to check it out. I will yeah. say you get better at it over time. It doesn't actually take a lot of skill, especially right. if you get one of those things that's like the one I have is, is not a pot. It's all gravity fed, has like a little like spigot that comes out that just goes right into your nose. It's all super chill. Yeah. It's like no fuss, yeah. no nonsense. Yep, yep. Really easy. Yeah, you'll probably screw it up the first couple of times and end up with a mouthful of yeah, weird, weird sinus rinsed saline water, which is not pleasant. But yes, yeah, it's, it's not even that bad. I, I no. never had really any problems. I, the funniest thing that happened to me, though, is when I started using it to begin with, I did it one time and I was like, wow, that was fantastic as usual. Then you blow your nose afterwards. You're like, I feel like 10 million bucks. Like you just mm -hmm. feel fantastic. I was in the kitchen with my wife. We were talking 10 minutes later. I just tilted my head down in a bunch of water, saline water. Just <laughs> right like my yeah. nose onto the floor. You got to like, blow your nose pretty well afterwards. Yes. So like you get used to it, you get better at it, but I'm with you. It's a simple technology, but it does, I think for preventative care and, and where I live, allergies are a real issue like again we, we again we're incumbent we have to say this like it has come upon us because we're beyond just being top 50 i think we're now like top 20 we're moving up we are the top healthcare podcast in the country oh is that what it is yeah, now yeah, yeah so i mean every other podcast every other healthcare podcast had to have pod faded by now that's just how podcasting works if you if you very true. just persevere long enough you become the best that's true like hazard rates by statistics yeah. you're absolutely right we have the greatest survival rate so with that said, I mean, one of the great things, you know, the, about this is that it's really a great form of like preventative care. So that's like the real joy in this bad boy is to prevent you from getting to the place where you have that kind of stuff. And then you, I do it every once in a while. And I, I'm honestly like, it's kind of a weird treat. Like, yeah. it's funny you bring this up because I'm going to do it after this podcast. <laughs> I already decided before we sat down. Like this morning, I was like, oh, I'm going to sit down and we'll do the conversation. And then I'm going to do that. And it's, you know, sit down. I'll be like, this is great. What's, what's really funny, and this is my favorite thing. So 
I got this automatic sinus rinse and I don't have any bottled water, so I haven't been able to use the sinus thing yet. But my favorite thing is that the official, so Neil Medicine is the company that makes the official neti pot and I bought the Neil Medicine automatic one. What do you, do you know what it's called? No. It's called really the Sinugator. That's like the best name, the Sinugator. It's just like, it's the right amount of like aggressive. It's like the Sinugator. Yeah, I just, I'm excited. Yeah, that's well done. In fact, like we need to cancel this recording. I'm going to go take care of this right now. <laughs> Sometime we'll just do a, a live podcasting where each person takes a turn irrigating their sinuses on the mic. Ooh, ugh, ugh. It doesn't sound anything. All you'd hear is slight running water, yeah. which is pleasant in its own right. Yeah. What you don't want to do before you do this is go to YouTube and look up people doing neti pots because there's some gross videos out there. Sometimes like this, the water that comes out is really nasty if it's a bad. Yeah. I didn't have that experience. The water coming out seemed totally fine. It wasn't like yeah. big gobs of stuff, but sometimes people, it, the stuff that comes out is, is pretty gnarly. So. Yeah. Well, there's like 11 minutes of sinus rated information. For somebody's, everybody. somebody's going right. to, somebody's going to write a bad iTunes review of that. That's fine. That's fine. Oh, that's definitely going to happen. Yeah. Somebody's going to be like, I tuned in this because it was supposed to talk about covetousness. And all I heard you guys talking about was sinus cavities and rinsing in the giant gunk that comes out of that. Yeah. Well, now I have to actually literally stop myself right here because I have at least three spiritual metaphors that I want to use. <laughs> but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna move on. So yeah. here's here's my really brief uh, affirmation. This is uh, a little bit lighthearted. Oh, it's it's definitely not as impactful or life changing as the sinus rinse. But I just came across this website that I feel compelled to affirm and share. I don't know what I'm doing with emojis. I say this regularly. My wife is like super good at emoji use, like a surgeon. She gets in there. She knows which one she wants to use. And oftentimes, I think this is like the hallmark of good emoji use. Her message is enhanced yes. by the emoji or it makes me laugh out loud or it brings me great entertainment or joy. But it is always like directly related. She has a gift. I'm sure it's not a spiritual gift, but it is like this gift of knowing which one to use. And oftentimes she's pulling them and I didn't even know they existed. So yeah. imagine my great joy when I found there was somebody who could guide me in this. And so I'm affirming with this website called emojiton.com. And all this does is you can throw in a word or a short series of words, and it will produce a series of emojis that translate as best it can that phrase into pictorial representation. And then you can copy that, those series of emojis, and drop them into perhaps a text or some other kind of message. It's just plain good fun. So I'm just affirming with this website because I thought it was funny. And for somebody who is like emoji challenged, it was it was fun. Some some of them work better than others in terms of the things that you can search for, but it is a super just fun thing. So like for instance, I typed in the word podcast before we started recording and it gave me a series of five emojis that I might use to describe apparently podcast. The first, and this is going to be great podcasting. Let me describe emojis to everybody. That's what everybody <laughs> wants right now. One is like that old timey square microphone. Then there is a, a cloud, like a speech bubble. Then there's a set of headphones. Then there's an old transistor radio. Then there's a microphone. Apparently that is how we reflect and best express podcast in emoji. So emojiton.com, something to fill your time. Yeah, I put in honor everyone love the brotherhood, and I'm not a hundred percent sure that this is really capturing it. It's uh two guys standing shoulder to shoulder. Okay, that's probably brotherhood. 
uh, it's a heart. Okay, love. All right. There's a handshakes. Maybe that's, oh, that's cool. maybe that's everyone, or maybe that's honor. And then there's a trophy. But it okay. seems out of order. Maybe maybe emoji language has a different syntax. So this will be like brotherhood, love, everyone, honor. I guess is like the phrase. Yeah, there. I see, but it's fun, right? Because yeah. like, especially if it's a bit like a game that you play with yourself. You type in the thing that you know you want to express, and then it's fun to work backwards and see, like you just did. Do, do these emojis actually reflect that thing? But here's the thing: if you were to ask me, to say to me, like right now express emojis honor everyone love the brotherhood i couldn't even get there yeah i know so, i probably would have gotten the brotherhood part like the two guys standing shoulder to shoulder yeah so this one's pretty good uh i i put in the 10th commandment into the emoji translator here okay. and it's it's a person with their arms crossed so do not uh and then there's money ring woman then there's a guy cow horse house it's pretty good. Oh my word. That's pretty good. That's I'm 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 pretty impressed at this point. So that that is real good. So here's the thing. I know we've joked about this. I mean, AI is just going to take over. Here's another example of that. In fact, like we keep saying, this isn't even a real podcast. It's been AI for several episodes. Oh yeah, we, we're awesome. on the beach sipping my ties right now. That's exactly right. Like we we already have taken a break. So. All right. Let yeah. me let me see if you can guess this one. Oh no. This is the podcast now, everyone. Sorry. All right, so praying hands or or high five, which is how most people use it, but I think it's supposed to be praying hands. Okay. Uh, star, praising hands. So like two hands facing you like upwards, like lift your hands and praise. Okay. Uh, a smiley face with a halo, like a little party cheer thing and a dove with an olive branch in its mouth. <laughs> so praying hands, star, praise hands, Happy angel, I guess. Uh, party popper and then dove. You're not so going to get is, it. This one's yeah. not as good as the other one. I would yeah. might, I might've gotten the other one. This one's not as good. I have no, I have no idea. Here's the thing. I was like, there are parts of this that seem to make sense. And I was trying to draw some kind of linear relationship through. And then you get me at like star and party popper. Oh, see when I say what it is, you're going to get it. I think. Uh, okay. So it's it? man's chief end is to or chief and highest oh. end is to glorify God and fully enjoy him. So the star must be glorify maybe uh, the, the hands. I think that's highest the the raising hands. Yeah. That's and good. then the, the uh, party popper must be, that must be enjoy. Enjoy. Yeah. And I don't know which, I don't know which of those emojis is, a, is supposed to represent God. So enjoy. I'm not going to say it cause that's a second commandment violation. Why did you do this to me, Jesse? Sorry. Well, here's the here's the thing. Um, yeah, definitely probably shouldn't be dropping God in there. Here, here's the thing about this. Have we just started something new and super awesome, which is to say creating, like translating the covenant confessions into <laughs> into this is like a, a new missional strategy. Yes. Translate the gospel I mean, into emoticons. It's just fun. I mean, that that has, I suppose, been done, but like just I just love this idea of like dropping stuff in. So anyway, so people people will have as much fun probably as we just had. And it's just a light, a lighthearted thing. So let's go then into some more negative. Let's get to the denials. What are you denying against on this episode? Well, so mine, why don't we end with mine? So why don't we move to How your denial you? first? How dare you? Wait, can I ask, why are we ending with yours? Is it because Just, just because I, d I don't think we're going to have a lot to talk about. So I, I think it'll oh. be a better to just transition into the subject. Okay, that's fair. We had, See, we're there's there's our pre-meeting. 
yeah, right exactly. in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> because I was thinking we should end with mine because it's going to dovetail right into the conversation. But oh, that's fine. All right. So here fine. we go. So I'm denying against, and we've talked about this before, but because we've been talking about the 10 words, I'm denying against uh, antinomianism, but like not your grandmother's antinomianism. You know, we talk about antinomianism, generally talking about this doctrine in which Christians are freed by grace from the necessity of obeying the Mosaic law. It's really like anti-law, of course, right. which is what it literally means. And so this idea of rejecting the notion of obedience as legalistic and instead saying that somehow all of the good life, the abundant life flows from the inner working of the Holy Spirit, which there is some truth in there. But the problem with antinomianism is it is a partial or a partial or half, 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 half truth. So, but here's where I'm kind of taking like a unique stance because of where we come from before. Whenever we fail to give the 10 words hegemony for whatever reason, either because like we think they're outmooted or they don't, they're too simplistic. And so they don't cover appropriately like the complexity of life, or we decide that we want to justify some kind of disobedience to them or non-conformance with them for any particular reason, I'm going to put forward that that is a form of antinomianism. That in fact, like they do still have, they, as you said, that open, they read us, we don't read them. And so because of that, because they're God-given and they are always contemporary and because the moral law is always there for us, it is eternal, it permeates, it persists, it is ubiquitous in all that the Christian should be and do. It doesn't mean that we have to not wrestle through them and perhaps find ways in which we need to understand their application in our lives. But it does mean whenever we're like we de depose of them or dispose of them in this kind of just straight out of hand way where we say like, well, I can't honor my parents in this situation because of X, or um, it's appropriate for me to take this thing and violate the sixth commandment because you don't understand. That is a form of antinomianism. And so we are, and all of us in some ways have a tendency toward antinomianism. And so I'm just denying against that, maybe a more fully orbed understanding that. When, lest we raise the index finger and point to the antinomian and say, like, how dare you, sir? At the same time, we are also that person anytime we find reason to compromise our own obedience to the Ten Commandments or do not give them superior place over our behavior as they ought to have in every circumstance and every situation, even when we find it difficult or hard to apply. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think... Um we all have a tendency to find ways to disregard God's law. That's part of the the fallen human condition. And no, that's right. unfortunately for those of us who are more theologically astute or trained, um, we often use theological language and theological principles to do that. So um, I think far too often we, in our zeal to promote the knowledge of God's grace, we often forget that God's grace uh, is accompanied by the law. Um, and, it, and it's uh, it's not as though the law is grace, right? God, God's giving of the law is right. sort of a, it's a gift, but it's the, the law is not gracious. The law does not contain grace. The law is something that points us to grace. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I'll deny antinomianism all day long and twice on the Lord's day. I love that. That's fantastic. All right. So now I'm so all the more eager to understand what you're denying against. Yeah. So... So the, the reason I wanted to sort of end with this in our affirmations and denial sections, because there's not a ton of commentary to make on this, but 
over the last week, uh, two two leading figures in the PCA um, went home to be with Jesus. So the first, which I'm sure most people who listen to our podcast are well acquainted with, um, Reverend, I think Reverend Doctor, probably, um, Tim Keller, who was the long-term senior pastor at Redeemer Church in New York City. Um, he was a leading figure in the Young Restless Reform Movement. He was one of the founders of the Gospel Coalition. Um, he was a, a major voice in the PCA itself. Um, very influential in sort of general evangel broader evangelicalism, kind of reformish evangelicalism. So theological differences aside, a major influential figure. Um, he died after, I think, a three-year battle with pancreas cancer. Yes. Um, he went home to be on hospice. Uh, and then very shortly after that, I think it was the following day, he um, he went to be with Jesus. Um, and then the second is Pastor Harry Reader, who our, our listeners probably are not as familiar with. Um, Harry Reader was a pastor uh, of Briarwood Presbyterian Church, also in the PCA uh, in Alabama, uh, a very stalwart conservative um, sort of sort of think like the Presbyterian version of Al Mohler is kind of the the, the world he's circulated in. Um, he he did a podcast uh, that was very similar to the briefing uh, called Today in Perspective. He did a daily devotional on top of all of his stuff. He was a major writer in the church kind of renovation, revitalization movement, um, which is crazy because he, uh, I think he he came to Briarwood and it was sort of a small dying congregation and he revitalized it. And now it's a very, very thriving, vibrant one. Um, and he died very suddenly in a car accident. So there's not a lot of commentary to make on that. Um, it, it's a, it's a major loss from a practical level to uh, the PCA specifically, I think to the church at large, um, even though nobody has perfect theology. And, and that's certainly true of these men to, to greater or lesser degrees. Um, it's, it's a, it's a sad day, uh, but we mourn as those who have hope, not as those who right. do not have hope. Um, but I thought it would be remiss to not at least make a comment on that, um, to sort of say, this is a big loss. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's a constant reminder, whether it's a, a disease that you see coming, um, you know, by all accounts, uh, Tim Keller had all of his affairs in order as much as a man can, and he was ready to go. Um, and, and pastor, um, reader was, I don't know where he was driving, but he's driving in his car and he ran into a dump truck. I don't know what happened, why he didn't stop, but he hit a dump truck and he was, and was done. He was out and, and now he's with Jesus. So happy for them. Sad for us. Um, it's a big hit to the PCA. I know there's a lot of people who looked up to them, to both of them for leadership in a variety of ways. And there's a, a vacuum now until, um, you know, there's always going to be a time period where, where there's some questions about who's leading what. So that, that, that's, I don't know if it's necessarily a denial. I guess if we wanted for him as a denial, like denial of the fallen nature of man and the fact that death is still a thing. Um, but more or less, I just wanted to to take a minute to acknowledge this and sort of honor their their legacy and honor the role they've played in various ways in in my life and in the I think in the reformed movement as a whole. I appreciate you bringing that up. I think it's appropriate for us to remember that all of us are not far from some experience of death, either our own or somebody else's. And of course, in this day and age, when we have greater access to so many people to understand and to know so many people, if only on the internet. That still we find, I think, an appropriate remembrance that we have to number our days. Yeah. And that's all days are, in fact, numbered. So we're never far from it, far from being impacted from it, far from being reminded of it. The state of humanity in its normative sense is to always push away that, right? Is to 
in some ways pretend as if that will not happen to us or to those that we love, but all that we love will die. And so our great hope is that Christ will save all whom we love, that those will be raised up and that we're made to alive forever with Christ, that we're raised to the heavenly places. And even now for his children, that is the promise that is already currently enacted, that everything we just talked about and that we're about to say about the law once again is click, drag, and drop from the future into the present underneath the judgment of Christ, who makes it such that we are made alive together with God, that we're no longer at enmity with him. And so because of this, we look forward in a way to death, knowing that it is just a rite of passage rather than the final separation. And so for these gentlemen in particular, those who have led us, it's a great reminder that as in all parts of life and also in our spiritual sense, like nobody achieves anything alone. And so even though, of course, everybody has different theological perspectives and nobody has got it totally right. I know we've said and borrowed from R.C. Sproul in this, this idea of like, even if you're convicted that you have 80% of it correct, it, the problem is you don't know which 20% you have wrong. Right. And so you're trying to follow faithfully after the Lord Jesus Christ, as we do in our conversations, going to the scripture, standing on the shoulders of giants who've come before us in the creeds and the confessions, which we regularly go to. In all of this, we, ought, we owe a great debt to God himself who gives us these men and women so that we might follow their example, understand him more clearly and worship him in a more dear sense. So this is a great loss. And of course you're right, Tony, death in this way and the grieving that follows it is, it's cliche to say bittersweet, but it is like Baker's chocolate. There's chocolate in it somewhere. And yet this is not the kind of chocolate you want to eat. So, but we respect the fact that God has given us great gifts especially in his church with the people whom he has given to lead and to teach and to admonish us and educate us in the faith. So these gentlemen kept the faith and that is among the greatest things that can be said for any child of God. So we mourn their loss. And like you said, we also look forward And like, here's the, can I just say this? Like as we move on in closing, I guess is like, here's the great thing in Christ is that to have access to these men who have taught us such great things and yet in our own temporal world to know that we'll never meet them but the great access that we have in christ is to know that someday we can yeah and maybe we just will yeah like that's what's gonna go we'll spend eternity together forever not eternity together in like a separated like space of like the interwebs but eternity together yeah that's a remarkable thing yeah it sure is before we move on i just want to close with these these are um some of reported as some of tim keller's last words and i think this is just so poignant. He is reported to have said, quote, there is no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. Like if we could all have that perspective on, on death and, and be able to appropriate that when we lose someone that we love, who is in the Lord, there's no downside in them leaving. So although it is, it is painful and it's difficult and there's sometimes our challenges that come about it, Ultimately, those challenges are for the good of the elect, and and there's no downside. There's no downside when someone goes to be with the Lord, uh, even though it's hard and it it hurts and it it sucks. Like there's nothing there's nothing pleasant about losing someone you love. Sometimes there's a soft edge to it. You know, uh, Pastor Keller suffered for a long time. Pancreas cancer is a terrible, painful condition, and um, you know he he when he went home on hospice, some of the things he was saying is he just wanted to go be with Jesus. And that's a real common, I mean, he was 72 years old. He, he lived a long, productive, and and by all accounts, happy 
um, fulfilling life. So he was ready to go. But if we could all have that perspective on death, there's no downside to me leaving. Like that's a, that's a really poignant way to close out your life. So sure. there's no good way to transition into our topic. There's no clever transition. There's no happy, fun segue. And in some ways that would be inappropriate. So let's just get into it. Let's just go on to the the 10th word. Let's just do it. Let's just do the 10th word. This is the wrapping up of these 10 words. And in our defense, with great deference to both you and me, I'm going to say we never have good segues or color segues. That's true. So Sometimes we try to be just, funny, though. Yeah, well, that's fair. Yeah, that's totally fair. So, again, I want to emphasize that we've been talking about these the moral law, and, and we kind of firmly planted this and challenged maybe some of our listeners to consider this once again, as the church has, in the realm of Christian ethics. That's why we're getting after these 10 words. They matter to us. They will always matter to us because God has made them such. And so, again, according to the Westminster Confession of Faith, the moral law doth forever bind all, as well justified persons as others, to the obedience thereof. And neither doth Christ in the gospel in any way dissolve, but much strengthen this obligation. And so we find ourselves in that final obligation. This is from Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So, of course, like the first thing that jumps out or should jump out to all of us is the inclusiveness of this. Yeah, It's, it's interesting that certain things are, again, mentioned explicitly. But of course, like the very obvious implicit command here is that whatever it is that you don't have, you ought not to desire in a way that causes you to sin. And I think we should say at the front of this that we kind of were developing this hypothesis, I think all along, and it's definitely come home to me. And that is that even though we start with, and I say even though, the first commandment being have no other gods before me, there's one true God, that we find there's like a, this amazing, I think, as we've gone this conversation, escalation. There's like this really great crescendo that's happening such that as we get to, I think, the ninth and then the 10th commandment, what we find is that almost the 10th commandment is both like a recapitulation and a re-emphasis and a bundling together like an omnibus of so many that have come before it. In fact, to me, like this is almost a a um, commandment against like inviting so many of other sins that happen by way of being covetous. Yeah. So of course, like you can go through the scriptures and find like very explicit examples of people wanting something that they ought not to desire. So whether that's like Achan in the seventh chapter of the book of Joshua, or David with Bathsheba, or Gehazi with Elisha, like coveting Naaman's gold. Here's what I find like super interesting is that I think even by way of the Bible's own commentary on covetousness and this commandment in particular, we find this elevation. Like this isn't my idea. So for instance, when the apostle Paul relates in Romans 7, 7, this kind of critical self-evaluation, self-understanding of what occurred, he realized that he had broken the 10th commandments because he says, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So while Paul was guilty of breaking each of the commandments in an inward sense, it's interesting to me that the one which he mentions specifically is the 10th. It was almost as like Paul was, I mean, he was an intensely religious man, right? He's zealous for all the things connected to its origin of Israel. Yeah. He's willing to expend whatever is acquired in his defense. Yet the Lord, through an inner application of the law to Paul's heart, revealed to him that all his thoughts, all his behavior were expressions of the sin of covetousness. And whatever he did was done to attain something for himself. That's kind of like where we start with this. Again, yeah. to me, like, I think God has like created this giant ramp that we're just like accelerating up. 
And it ends with this word, uh, this 10th word of you just can't covet, not anything. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I don't remember exactly who wrote it. I think it might've been Denny Burke actually, now that I'm thinking about it. But I remember the first time that I read an article that argued that Christ kind of converting the law towards the inward inward life, right? There's this perspective sometimes in um, in some circles of Christianity that Christ either added to the Mosaic law or he intensified the Mosaic law in a way that wasn't already present, specifically in the, the part of the Sermon on the Mount called the Antithesis, right? You've heard it said right. this, but I tell you this. Um, and there's a number of ways to sort of explain what's going on there. Some people will say like, well, you've heard it said, but I tell you this, meaning like you heard it said in the oral tradition, but I tell you this from the law of God, right? There's a common understanding that when Christ takes the, the, um, the seventh commandment, and says, you can't even lust after somebody. You can't even, if you even lust after a woman, you've already broken the seventh commandment. Or when he takes the sixth commandment and says, if you're even angry with somebody without, without just cause, you've already committed murder in your heart. There's this perspective that says that's an elevation of it. And, and so the Mosaic law was really about external behaviors. The 10 commandments is about external behaviors. And Christ actually calls us to a higher standard of not only managing our external behaviors, but managing our inward desires. Now there's a certain there's a certain element of that that is true in that there's a progressiveness to the revelation of God's law culminating in Christ's exposition of it in the 10 commandments and then Paul's further exposition in the epistles that there is a progression of uh of revelation and progression of exposition in that as we move through the uh through the history of God's people there is a shift away from what feels like an outward manifestation of the law towards a more inner manifestation. Uh, but that is not because there's a change in the nature of the law. And this right. article by Denny, I'm going to, I'll try to look it up and, and find it, but I, I'm pretty sure it was by Denny Burke and I'm pretty sure it was in the Evangelical Theological Society journal. He, he basically made the argument that right here within the 10 commandments itself, we already have that progression of starting with the outside behaviors. And we've already made allusions to this throughout the course of this, but starting with the external uh, behaviors of there, this is a, a $50 biblical word. There's a chiasm within the 10 commandments, right? right? You shall have no other gods before me is a overall statement that has to do with your heart disposition and your, your, who your allegiance are to. That's basically a, an internal disposition. And then that goes, you can kind of think that that moves downwards into practical behavior. Don't have, don't make idols. Don't, don't worship in ways God hasn't prescribed. Don't, don't blaspheme in God's name and worship on the day and in the way that he's prescribed. Right. So it goes from the, the internal of don't have other gods to the external of how that manifests itself. And then the chiasm, which is the Greek letter that looks like an X. And that's where chiasm comes from. The chiasm is that the, the second table starts with the outward manifestation or the outward behavior and it progresses to these last two, which really are about the internal disposition of the heart. So that progression towards an internal managing your internal, and I say managing just because that's the best word for it right now, but it, it goes from sort of like outward behavior and regulating outward behavior to now regulating the heart. 
that progression is already embedded and baked into the Ten Commandments. So as I said, I think over the span of biblical revelation, if you're doing this from kind of a biblical theology, straight line approach from you know chronological, there is a progression in, in the history of revelation from more outward management of behavior and outward outward regulations to inward regulations. And our confessions, they they acknowledge that. Even even in the section talking about the covenants, right? It talks about how the um the former covenant or the old covenant was more glorious in terms of its rituals than the new covenant. The new covenant is more simple because there's this progression from the outward kind of demonstrative worship of the old Testament to the inward spiritual worship of the new Testament. That same progression um, in the way that we, we see the law revealed happens, but the nature of the law does not change. And the 10 commandments demonstrates this. And that's why I think that I think that's why Paul points to this commandment as the one that was revelatory to him exactly. of how far he had broken the law. He, he had, he had, I mean, by all accounts, Paul had the outward regulation of his life more or less in order. I mean, as, exactly. as in order as almost anybody could, he, he was keeping Torah, you know, he was keeping kosher. He was doing all the stuff, but then he realized even within that context, he coveted. So, so there was no purity in Paul because he coveted. That's the same thing that's going on here. So no matter how, no matter how outwardly righteous we may see ourselves to be, or even may be outwardly righteous, there's always that inward disposition of the heart. And this, this prohibition against covetousness, that's the major one that reveals it. Combined last week with like the, the anger of your heart that outflows into slanderous speech. Yes. Right. That's in some ways the spiritual application of the sixth commandment of not killing. Well, this is the this is in some ways the spiritual application of not stealing and not committing adultery, because it's it's not only do not desire other people's stuff, but don't desire other people's spouses too. don't don't steal from them in your mind by way of fantasizing about taking their stuff and having the things they right. have. And also don't fantasize in, in terms of sexuality by fantasizing about taking their wife or taking their husband. Um, that's really what this is about is the inner disposition of the heart and the way that it culminates as kind of the capstone. And I, I do like to, I do love that the, the 10 commandments form this beautiful chiasm, right? It's kind right. of like a, 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 B, you know, a C. So, so if that's not making sense, it's because I'm not explaining it clearly, but just look up chiasm on Wikipedia and it'll explain a lot clearer, but it, it sort of is like down into this Valley with the, the pinnacle or the point of the Valley at the bottom being the most practical application of things. And then it progresses right. back up the other side of the Valley back up into the sort of heart disposition side of things. That's really the way these laws are structured. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful thing, right? Why wouldn't we not expect that? Because God has ordained it such. He's constructed it in this way where from the beginning, there is, I think, a movement from the outside to the inside, at least like implicitly. And it's a quick like excursus in, in things that we don't even have time to discuss. But I remember you bringing this up because we'd gotten some feedback about some commentary in your use of the word covet yeah. in particular. Yeah. And as I was thinking about this in relation to the 10th word, I think it's worth noting that the term covet itself is actually a neutral word. It just means to want to desire. So right. like Paul uses it in a positive sense when he tells the church in Corinth to covet the best spiritual gifts. This goes to your point though. The whole idea here is that there is the covetousness is an invisible sin. So to say like you want to covet something is not necessarily in its expression sin itself. So let's say that you're inspired 
by way of seeing somebody who has a great deal of knowledge in a subject to want to invest yourself and to read something and to understand more. That by itself is not necessarily sin to desire. The, the problem is that what we're talking about is a way in which covetousness in the sinful sense is always insincere. It always wants the worst for somebody else at the expense of them and at the benefits of you. Yes. So let's say that like my wife and I are at a friend's house and we see like, I, I don't know, this is like super weird now, like expensive painting on the wall. If my wife is just appreciating that and saying, I'm really pleased to see this like lovely painting. And I'm saying to myself, well, I wish that painting was in our house. Like that's really nice. The, yeah. the problem with this is no one can perceive from the outside the heart attitude, the response that we're having toward that art. We may both be actually admiring it, but I'm admiring it in such a way that says like, yeah, this is great. And you know what? It's so great that I really wish it wasn't here, but that I had my greedy little yeah. hands on it. Whereas my wife was just saying, this is just a beautiful piece of art. I'm just so happy to be able to see it. And so in this way, it is both invisible and insincere in that, in my sense, I'm saying like, even though I have a smile on my face as I'm observing it, all I want from it is to have it myself. And of course, to have it myself is to commit an offense against the person who actually has it. So it's not just that you cannot perceive it from the outside, like the true reflection of what's going on as I understand and have that experience. But beyond that, I'm of course saying that I want to intentionally, or I'm allowing myself to intentionally consider the fact that I would rather have this yeah. in a simple way, that I wish that I could abscond with it, that I wish that I could, I'm engaging my thoughts in such a way to use them against this person at their expense. And so in that way, that's of course what aligns with Aiken and taking the forbidden items and David having uh, Bathsheba in a forbidden way. All of this is a reflection of entertaining this idea of something that doesn't belong to you instead of appreciating it. And, and I would say like glorifying it in the sense of giving God glory for that thing, yeah. but also appreciating it and celebrating somebody else who has it like full stop. Not that you have it, but somebody else who can appreciate their joy of having it themselves. You want it for yourself. And so I'm totally with you. It's it's not so like even when we say colloquially, like, well, I covet this thing or I covet that kind of knowledge. There is a way in which, of course, as Paul has used it, where we ought to that just just saying desire the best things, but desire the best things in the best of all possible ways, in a way that is proper, in a way that does not break this 10th commandment. But of course, I think you're totally right. Like what Paul is saying here is this revealed all of the inner markings. It revealed like the fact that my heart is just like a cage of unclean yeah. birds. It revealed the fact that like all of my motives are impure in my desire for something. It's not necessarily desire that is wrong, but the motive behind that desire. Yeah, I think that's really important. So so question 146 of the Westminster Larger Catechism, um, sorry, 147 teaches us about what the required duties are. So so we talked about this a little bit throughout, but each each commandment has not only a prohibition, most of the 10 commandments are are phrased in this negative manner of what you should not do. Um, only, you know, only the, um, only the, the fifth commandment has a positive prohibition, right? Something you should do. Uh, I suppose that the fourth commandment also does have as both, but, um, our tradition in the, the catechism, the Westminster catechisms breaks that out into the duties required and the, the, the sins forbidden and the duties required in the, the 10th commandment, according to the, the larger catechism question 147, the duties required in the 10th commandment are such a full contentment with our own condition and such a charitable frame of the whole soul towards our neighbor as that all our inward notions and affections touching him tend unto and further all that is good, which is his. So this, 
this commandment, not only, and, and this, I think this just reinforces what I was saying about the way that the commandments are structured, right? So the, the first commandment is love the Lord, your God with all your heart and all your soul. That's, that's the first four commandments in summary form. And the first of the first four commandments is the pinnacle of loving the Lord, your God with all your heart and soul. And then the other three are unfolding how you do that. The 10th commandment is the pinnacle of how you love your neighbor as yourself. Not only do you not want want their stuff, but everything you do, right? This language is super, super strong. All our inward motions and affections tend toward and further all the good, which is his. So, So the 10th commandment is your entire motivation and everything you do should be about furthering the estate of your neighbor. This is the pinnacle of loving the Lord your God. And this is the other thing that I wanted to point out, because I think this this exactly lines up with what you were saying. It's not wrong to want other things. I think right. sometimes we think about the, the 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 nature of contentment as though like, I shouldn't ever want to buy a new car. I, I, I'm, if I want a promotion at work or I want to make more money, then it means I'm not content in my current position or I'm not content with my current salary. That's not true. Now we can want those things for for illicit reasons. I can want a promotion because um, because I'm not satisfied with the prestige that my current position gets me, right? Or I can want a promotion because I think that the work that I do is valuable and I can contribute to that valuable work in a more positive way or a more significant way by by obtaining a promotion. I can I can want um, want a higher salary because I'm greedy. Or I can want a higher salary because it'll help me take care of my family better. It'll help me to serve and donate to the church better. It'll help me to be generous and be able to do things for people that need it. And this this is where I want to go to just to sort of prove that. And we didn't talk about this when we got to the Eighth Commandment, but I think this is important. The question 141 of the Westminster Larger Catechism is with the duties of the Eighth Commandment, which is the prohibition against stealing. And this is just the very last part of it. It says... By all just and lawful means to procure, preserve, and further the wealth and outward estate of others as well as our own. So unless the Westminster divines are just the most incoherent people and in the space of like seven questions contradict themselves, which is just ridiculous when you look at how much debate and revision these these documents went through, they both say that we are commanded to procure and advance our wealth. And that's how we, that's one of the duties that the eighth commandment requires us is to, in a godly fashion, pursue the increase of our own wealth and the wealth of our neighbors. They can say that. And in the span of just seven or eight questions also say we should have total contentment with everything that we have. So those things, obviously, at least in the mind of the Westminster divines are not contradictory to each other. And so the, the 10th commandment here is this culmination it's not enough just to not want bad things for your neighbor. You have to want good things for your neighbor. And it's not enough to just want good things for your neighbor. You have to actually do what you can to bring about those good things for your neighbor. And so this would, and in, you know, even in the law, when we, you know, Jesus, of course, asked who is asked, who is our neighbor? And he, he tells the parable of the good Samaritan. But even if you look within the law itself, the, the 316 commands is the way it's most commonly divided up is the, the sort of Levitical law is broken to 316 commands. I was listening to, I, every morning I go walking with Augie, we go, we go for a run, a short run and then a walk. And we li- we're listening to the ESV audio Bible as we do that. 
And I was struck listening through, uh, through the book of Leviticus and through Deuteronomy. There's commands in there that say, if you come upon your enemy's livestock, you come upon your enemy in the middle of the road, your enemy, someone that the Bible is acknowledging is your enemy. And their ox is so burdened down that he's fallen over and can't get up. You are obligated to stop and help them because your enemy is not your enemy. He's your neighbor. And you are obligated to advance their, their good and to seek to procure and increase and enhance their wealth. So you're not even allowed to let your enemy's oxen and their property be destroyed. You're commanded to stop what you're doing and help. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not saying every single person who sees a stranded motorist has to stop and help. There, there's also a, just a practical consideration for safety. We're not necessarily required in every single instance to stop what we're doing to help somebody in need. I, that's not what I'm saying. Some people would say that. I'm not saying that. But this commandment is about the heart disposition that we should want what is good for everyone. So your example of the painting, it is not wrong in any sense to look at a beautiful painting that your friend owns and say, this is a beautiful painting. I wish I had something like this in my house. Right. Or to say, this is a beautiful painting. I'm going to see where I can get a copy, a, a reprint right. of this and put a copy up in my house, right? When I make a joke that says, I covet Jesse's beard, I'm not saying yeah, either yeah, of I'm those things, right? Off. I'm not saying either of those things. Right. But exactly. a, a sinful violation of this commandment would be like, man, I wish Jesse's beard wasn't so great because I wish I had a better beard than he Yes, had. exactly. That would be a sinful, covetous violation of that. If I'm just saying, man, Jesse's beard is on point and I wish I had a great beard, right? <laughs> that's not that's not necessarily a sin. Now, the feedback we got on that had to do with sort of using biblical language as the butt of a joke. And, and I took that to heart. And actually, I was, I was very convicted of that. I try not to do that anymore. But the the covetousness is not just about wanting something that someone else has. When I see someone driving down the road in a sweet car, that looks really great and really comfortable. Um, so for example, I had over the Christmas break, I helped uh, dad take his car to the um, to the mechanic. So I, I drove his car. Uh, he, I drove, um, he drove the car that needed to be brought in. I drove another car that he also owned. And then I took the other car home while he waited for the car. That car has what's called adaptive cruise control. I wish I had adaptive cruise control. <laughs> I, I love the idea of adaptive cruise control, right? You just, you just turn it on and it keeps a safe distance between you and the car in front of you. That's awesome. Now, if I was like, man, I wish his adaptive cruise control didn't work because I don't have that. That's yeah. sinful covetousness, right? Right. So it can be something as benign as like a feature on a car or someone's facial hair, but it's all about our heart attitude and whether we want something for unlawful reasons, right? I wish I had this car because it would make me look really great. It would really make me look awesome. Well, that's not really a positive, beneficial, holy attitude to have, right? I wish I had this car because this is a feature that would help me keep my family safe. That's a fine reason to want adaptive cruise control. Even I wish I had this car because it would make my life a lot more convenient when I'm driving to New Jersey and I'm in stop and go traffic. Even that's a fine motivation to want something. So we got to get past this idea that like any wanting of anything that you don't have is covetousness. I've heard people apply that this way. If you're not 100% totally satisfied with everything you have such that you're not advanced, trying to advance any element of your life, that in some ways, that's just a, that's just a cover for laziness. Right. right. <laughs> it's just a cover to say like, well, I don't want to make any more money. I don't want to work hard at my job and get a promotion because that would be sinful covetousness. So I'm just going to coast like that's not really a godly perspective either. Yeah. I think the easiest way to understand that distinction or to at least evaluate it in our lives 
is to consider t- the, the fact that like Thomas Watson, the Puritan, called this particular part of the 10 words the mother sin, which is yeah. wild. Because this idea that it's like the it's like the entry, it's the gateway to a bunch of other sins. And in so much as it becomes the gateway, then you know that you have actually violated the 10th word here. So, of course, like covetousness can cause somebody to steal. It can cause some to kill. It can cause others to lie. It can cause immorality. It can cause children to disobey their parents. It can cause Sabbath breaking. It can cause all kinds of expression of idolatry. So with regard to that, that is where Paul, I think, expressly equates covetousness and adultery, like in Colossians 5, 5, but also like in his own life when he says, like, really, this was the root of everything for me. So in so much as you perceive that this has become the gateway, that is that by seeing something and it's desiring, that desire is given birth to some other form of sin that also in its own nature violates some other of the antecedent commandments, then you know that that desire has become unhealthy, unlawful, unwell. And destructive. So this is really the one that is in many ways like the litmus test because it can be the gateway. Anytime that we have this sense that we're like, and again, this one in particular, unlike some of the other ones, is always in every way volitional. So like to your point, uh, Tony, like the moment that you desire, again, for somebody else to suffer so at your expense you could have what they have or that you wish that they weren't as well off as they were and that you also had that thing is to say that you are entertaining to such a great degree this sin, that you are bringing it to fruition, at least in your own mind, and that takes effort. So in this way, it is both in intent and, oh my goodness, there's too many I words I've already said so far. <laughs> it is like invisible, it's insincere, it's intentional, and that it is a gateway. So I think part of this, the test that's before all of us, is to understand if we are giving the enemy and our own sinful nature a foothold in our lives through covetousness. And that is to say, like, is this the thing that is the springboard for so many other things? And it starts with entertaining this heart, these horrible thoughts, these inner feelings in which we're acquiescing to the fact that we want somebody else to suffer at our expense. We want to be so selfish in our own considerations that we'd rather somebody else lose so that we can gain. And that, I think, therein is like the test that we ought to have with this commandment. Yeah. And and this is... um you know, maybe as we kind of wrap this up, this is the way that Watson calls this sort of the mother sin is just perfect. I mean, it's just so fitting and descriptive because every other one of the commandments, at least in the second table of the law, every other one of them fits into this, right? Right. Do I, do I want to take the, do I want to steal the life of someone else? Right. That's the sixth commandment. Do I want to steal their life away from them? Well, most of the time, the motivation that people have behind either actual murder or or injuring someone else or just being being angry, a lot of that boils down to a sort of jealousy of what they have, right? Sometimes, like if you think about like like people who murder other people to take their stuff, that's a really straightforward application. But like a crime of passion, right? Somebody's jealous of their spouse. Maybe their spouse is actually committing adultery and they they kill the person their spouse is committing adultery on. Well, they value their own satisfaction of ending that person's life over that other person's ability to live, their, their right to life. Um, so th- this is the perfect way for us to end this sort of sequence and go figure. This is how the Holy Spirit inspired the structure of the, the Ten Commandments to unfold is that... 
this final commandment is the capstone and the, the, the culmination and clearest exposition of the heart matter behind all of the other commandments. That's right. Do you want other people's stuff? Do you want their status? Do you want their, their spouse? Do you want, do you want to take away their livelihood and their prosperity? All of those questions, which are outcomes or outflows of the 10th commandment, all of those questions then flow directly into those other ones. Another way to say that would be this. If you answer yes to any of those questions and you take it to its logical conclusion, it's going to result in a violation of the other commandment, of the other commandments, the other, the other tables or the other commandments in the second table, right? Do I want someone else's prosperity or do I want the status someone else has so badly that I'm willing to take away their their livelihood, right? There's the eighth commandment. Their life, there's the sixth commandment. Their, their good name, there's, there's the ninth commandment. Everything that we do, if we answer no, if we violate the 10th the commandment and we follow that desire to its logical outcome is a violation of the other commandments. And that, to me, that's a really sobering thought. Because at the same, we go back to your your denial on antinomianism, right? At the same time, we have this tendency, one of the ways that we tend to negate or disregard God's law is precisely by treating it as though the external application of it is the key, right? That's actually... Uh, Sinclair Ferguson in Whole Christ makes this point that legalism and antinomianism are actually far closer to each other than we realize. We have this tendency to think of legalism on one end of the spectrum and antinomianism on the other end of the spectrum. And we place the right balance of law and, and grace as like the goal. And there's like this golden mean. But in reality, the gospel doesn't lie in the middle of antinomianism and legalism. Realistically, what legalism is is a def- is a disregard of God's law by pretending that the externals of the law are actually the, the law itself. So it's anti-law in that it disregards the nature of the law. If we don't get past that, if we don't stop being practical antinomians by recognizing that God's law speaks to not only our external behavior, but even more forcefully to our internal motivations and desires— we, we can never progress in holiness. We can never progress in sanctification. And of course, this is the Reformed Brotherhood, not the Arminian Brotherhood or the Provisionist Brotherhood or the Open Theist Brotherhood, whatever they're calling themselves these days. This is the Reformed Brotherhood. So of course, we have been 100% clear and consistent that sanctification is something God does to us, right? We don't sanctify ourselves any more than we justify ourselves, any more than we're going to raise ourselves from the dead or we're going to glorify ourselves. But that said, we are active in our sanctification. We act according to our sanctification. And we we can hinder our sanctification by persisting in disobedience. And of course, right. all of that happens within God's providence. We're not dying, denying any of that. But if we do not get past this idea that our external behaviors are the key to the law, then we will never, ever progress in sanctification beyond a very surface basic level, right? Every Christian who's a genuine Christian has progressed in sanctification and will continue to progress in sanctification. But the the people for whom God brings along in sanctification, apart, and this is, this is that sort of like positive reinforcement cycle, God sanctifies us and that should bring about a further awareness of the fact that our heart is the problem. And so as he works on our heart, 
our behaviors come in line with that. And as our behaviors come in line with that, he exposes that our heart needs further re- further renewal and re- rejuvenation. And then that leads to further behavior. But for those of us who, for whatever reason, get locked into the idea that the cycle is all about outward behavior management, that's going to stop you from being able to get to the heart of the matter. So if all you're focused on, when I was in high school, I remember a bunch of my friends and I, we we really wanted to conquer this lust thing, right? A bunch of like 17 year old boys thinking we were going to conquer lust, which is just the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But what we did is we got, we got really tight rubber binders and we put them on our wrist. And every time we lusted after a girl or looked at a girl, we would snap the binder on our, our wrist. And that maybe, maybe for a while helped us to, you know, bounce our eyes to use language from like every man's battle, every young man's battle, bounce our eyes away from that girl was walking by. But in reality, if we were genuinely snapping that bracelet, every time we had a lustful thought about a girl, we would have like bloody open wounds on our wrists. We could never modify that internal heart behavior. And that goes for any of our sins, right? That That's just the one that comes to mind because it was an obvious, ridiculous attempt to use a gimmick to manage my outside behavior. But if every time you had a greedy thought, that you wanted something you weren't entitled to, that you you wanted something, uh, some material thing, and you were willing to, you were willing to tarnish someone else's wealth or steal from someone else to get it. If every time you had that thought, then you'd have a bloody wrist on you know with the rubber binder too. So we have to get to the core of the matter, which is really at our hearts on this, and that is where Paul points us to. If it wasn't for the law. We wouldn't even know that coveting was a thing. We wouldn't know what it was to covenant. We wouldn't know that it was you know, a violation of the law if, it, if the law hadn't told us that. And that does, in the unregenerate person, increase our sin. But for the Christian, this is the nature of the law. It shows us the path to walk on. And then by the power of the Spirit, we actually can walk on that. To limited effect and, and imperfectly, but we can make progress in the sanctity of our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, but it requires it requires us to understand the nature of this law. And that, that's part of what God illumines in us. That's totally right on. And I think a lovely way to end this conversation and our time together in the 10 words, which is to say, of course, we'll return to these time and time again, because they are the things that are always beside us. It's the great law that God gives us to be free to do these things, to have one God to worship and not be distracted. And in this particular word, to be content and satisfied with all that he gives us and to desire the best things, the good things, and not the things which bring us destruction and hurt our neighbor. So there's so much here for us. We could talk, as always, for so many more hours, but the time has already eluded us as it often does. And so because you're probably like us and you're processing these things and wanting to follow closely after our Lord and Savior, our first brother, Jesus Christ, there's a place for you, at least one place for you on the internet. And that is there's a messaging app called Telegram. And if you just type into either like your browser on your phone or your browser on your computer, T, that is T is in Trinity or Tom, T.me backslash Reform Brotherhood, what you'll find there is a link to a private group where there are other listeners who are just chatting it up having yeah. a good time, talking through things, affirming and denying, creating your own affirmations and denials. So yes. you can join the conversation too, which is super fun. But it's just a place to hang out and to love each other and to love God. And it's a great place to be. The other thing I would encourage our listeners to do, we often give a call to action like this, is if you have a second, 
whatever app or mode you're using to catch this particular conversation, would you be so inclined, if you will, just to leave a quick review? In part because we need at least one review to come against the review that we're going to receive about the 20 minutes of sign <laughs> irrigation talk. So, but this is, while it does, you know, there's lots of debates about whether or not we're, we're not trying to use this for self-promotion or self-aggrandizement. That is like, you know, it, I don't think it makes us more prevalent in the world. It does help though, for those who see the podcast or see, like, if you're searching online, you might see an episode title that will pop up. And then somebody will go to that and say like, is this worth listening to? Is this even worth my time? Because there's so many things you can preoccupy your time with the comments and the reviews do help with that. So we're thankful for everyone that takes just a second or two to say, this was helpful to me or it wasn't helpful to me, or I didn't even know you could irrigate your sinuses. And now I do. And <laughs> that's why I get all of my healthcare knowledge from the reform brotherhood. Please. I feel, I feel obligated as someone who works in actual healthcare to say, please do not get any of your healthcare knowledge from us. <laughs> the, the idea that we're a top 50 healthcare. It, so there are probably people who don't, who have not been around long enough to know where that yeah, joke comes from. Yeah, we should from. qualify this joke. We'll we'll explain that maybe next week. Please do not get any of your actual healthcare knowledge from our podcast. I am not a doctor. Jesse is not a doctor. Just don't. Just do not. So it's funny. The other thing is funny in God's providence. Jesse and I joke about not having pre-podcast conferences. We really don't. Like we log into our our little Google Meet chat and our pre-conference um our pre-podcast conference usually consists of like, hey, do you know what you're going to do for affirmations and denials? And what episode number is this? That That's the pre-conference here. <laughs> sure. I actually have our podcast reviews pulled up on my computer because I was going to do a call to action for podcast reviews. Jesse stole it for me. But I do want to say thank you to brother. How do we pronounce this? C-O-B-O, C-O-B-O, S-E-O-B-O-E, who gave us a rating recently. And he said, quality reform theology and current theological events discussions, great for beginning through longtime Christians. So there you'll hear everybody and their brothers say that ratings on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called these days, um, that those help with the algorithm. They absolutely 100% do not help with the algorithm. But what they do help with is exactly what Jesse said. If someone is is searches reformed theology or searches Christian podcasts about Jesus. Our podcast is going to come up somewhere in that mix. Depending on what search words they use, it's going to be closer to the beginning or further away from the beginning. But a lot of times when people are trying to find a podcast and they want to know if this is worth their time, they're going to scroll down. They're going to look at the rating. We have a 4.6 right now, which is great. And they're going to look at the most recent reviews. And so there's always going to be some angry people who either have a legit complaint about a podcast or or they're mad and they want to leave an angry complaint about a podcast. But the best thing you can do to help people listen to the show who are on the fence is to leave a positive a positive um, rating and to, to give an honest description in your words what it is. I can write a podcast description that is winsome and compelling and has all the right SEO keywords in it. Um, you know, I'm going to let Notion AI do that most of the time. So who knows whether it's good or bad, but when people look at reviews, they look at these verbatims that people put and they see this thing has theological current events, right? So if someone is looking for information about current controversies in theology, 
at least this listener says this is a good place to find that information. So I'm gonna gonna uh, piggyback on Jesse's call to action here. If you get a minute, we know most of you use Apple Podcasts on your phone to listen to this podcast. Take a second, go to the go to the podcast's main page, drop down, and leave a review. And if you have a few more seconds after that, uh, or leave a rating, and if you have a few more seconds after that, jot down a quick review. It really does make a difference as to whether people subscribe to the podcast or whether they just move on to the next thing. So we'll pause for a second for you to go do that. And while we do that, we'll just say, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood.